Latter-day Liberty Podcast, Episode 13. Hello and welcome back to the Latter-day Liberty Podcast with your hosts, Matt Kent and Daryl Portsline. And no, you're not crazy. Yes, we did go on hiatus for a whole week. Uh, we, we totally missed last week. Um, and, you know, we, we want to apologize for that. We, we really do... We, we want to get a, an episode out every week, and we were trying to very hard, but priorities of family come before podcast, apparently. Um, no, it for sure does. But we, um, we're back this week, and we wanted to make it up to everybody. You know, here we are. We wanted to, to get a really good topic. So Daryl and I are actually flying solo again today. We, we don't have anybody that we're interviewing, but we wanted to bring up a topic that um, we're, today we're going to be talking about what the Book of Mormon tells us about war. And to, to go right, on, right in line with that, so when President Ezra Taft Benson was speaking about the Book of Mormon, he actually, during one of his general conference talks, he says, he says, from the Book of Mormon, we learn how disciples of Christ live in times of war. And we feel like this is very applicable to us in, in our day now as well. Yeah, and we've got kind of a, we're going to try to take a little bit of a different approach uh, as far as like a format goes. Um, we we can this topic is kind of big. We realize there's a lot of different aspects we want to talk about. So um, we each kind of, we split up the topics we wanted to talk about and each um, researched them a little bit. And so we're going to kind of um, maybe quiz each other a little bit and, and just uh, kind of sh- talk about what, what pieces that we've kind of uh, looked into a little bit. So um, to start out, um, I looked into um, a little bit about <clears throat> when war is appropriate and what the reasons for going to war are and and particularly the reasons that are specifically mentioned in the Book of Mormon about why the right mostly the righteous Nephites and why they're going to war um, so just to get right into that um, one one of the first examples that that came to to my mind um, was the uh, the sons of the sons of the people of, of Ammon. So these are the otherwise known as the stripling warriors. Um, and uh, there's a scripture in Alma 53 verse 17 that says, uh, they entered into a covenant to fight for the liberty of the Nephites to protect the land unto the laying down of their lives. Yea, they covenanted that they would never give up their liberty, but they would fight in all cases to protect the Nephites and themselves from bondage. So the big takeaways here are they're fighting for their liberty and to protect themselves from bondage. Um, and all throughout the the examples that I looked into, that was kind of the overwhelming theme was, was uh, protecting themselves from liberty and from bondage, protecting their wives, their children, you know, all, all of their stuff, protecting their property rights. Um, defense is kind of the most common theme that, that I was able to to pull out of this topic. So um, another quick scripture in Alma 43, uh, verse 9, it says, And now the design of the Nephites was to support their lands and their houses and their wives and their children, that they might preserve them from the hands of their enemies, and also they might preserve their rights and privileges, yea, and also their liberty, that they might worship God according to their desires. So there again we have liberty, we have property rights, we have fam- protecting their families. And again, uh, just to drive that point home, all of the 
all the successful Nephite wars were actually defensive in nature, not offensive. Right, exactly. And, and that's something that I actually point out quite often to people when, they, when we talk about war and when it's, when, it's, um, when it's appropriate. I've heard quite often people will say, you know, we're not required to be pacifists. And I'm like, no, we're, we're not. But, you know, we are, we are, we are not to be aggressive uh, on our end as well. You know, it, it, you'll know a defensive war when it happens because it'll usually happen in your area, right? Just like the Nephites. It, they fought most of those wars in their, in their own lands. Yeah, and I've got actually a great quote for that too now that you brought it up. Um, Alma 48.14 um, talks about how the Nephites were taught to defend themselves against their enemies, even to the shedding of blood if it were necessary. And they were taught never to give an offense, never to raise the sword except it were against an enemy and except it were to preserve their lives. So, I mean, that, that lays it out pretty clear to me that a defense is the only justifiable time to use violence. Right. And what, so then that um, leads actually pretty, pretty well into, into my topic. The, the first topic that I, that I was looking into was uh, specifically about, you know, when a, when a war breaks out, how do you fund this? Because it takes money. Wars are expensive. This is why you don't see, you know, uh, corporations or whatever breaking out in war. It's usually governments that are taxing their people. Um, the, so funding is, is, a, is something that I, I, I looked at. Uh, we, could, we could learn a lot, actually, from the Book of Mormon about this. In fact, if we go to, um, in Alma, when we talk about, when we talk about all the wars, um, one of the first things one of the first areas that, uh, first stories that I thought of actually were, were the people like you brought up, you know, with the stripling warriors, their parents, the, the people of Ammon, when they were brought over, when they, when they first were coming out from the Lamanites, the Lamanites were trying to kill them and they come to the Nephites and say, Hey, we, we would like to, you know, to stay here. And the Nephites offer them some land. And with that, in that contractual agreement, they they tell them you know you can you can take this land and we will uh, protect you with our armies if you'll give us some of your your goods right so some of your increase you give it to us and and we will agree to protect you so it was voluntary right like they they came in with a contractual agreement they knew that what the agreement was and not only that it's not that the nephites were keeping them there to to glut themselves on their labors um it was you know, they, it was contractual. They, they could have left any time that they wanted to. It's just that they would, have, they would have been outside of the protection of the Nephites had they done that. And this is something that when, when the war does break out and the stripling warriors join the effort, um, the parents of those stripling warriors start to give quite a bit of their stuff. In fact, in, in Alma... Uh, chapter 43, verse 13, it's, it says right out there that the people of Ammon did give unto the Nephites a large portion of their substance to support their armies. Um, again, it's voluntary. This is not, you know, they, they were not taxed for this stuff. This was all voluntary. Um, so it, it seems like it throughout the Book of Mormon, it seems like there's a, um, there's a big emphasis on, on that voluntary nature. And one of, now this is something that there was one, um, uh, argument that I've heard recently that I've never heard before. And they, they brought up the fact that, you know, well, if you take a look at, at Moroni, Captain Moroni, he didn't, it's not like he was respecting people's property rights. He told, he threatened Pahoran in his letter to him, you know, when, when the government wasn't assisting everybody, he, he threatened him. And just, and in fact, I'll, I'll read that. It, 
So actually, and right there in the Book of Mormon, if you read in, uh, this is Alma chapter 60, verse 35, it says, and behold, if you will not do this, I come unto you speedily. For behold, God will not suffer that we should perish with hunger. Therefore, he will give unto us of your food, even if it must be by the sword. Okay, so this is, their argument was, look, Moroni right there is is trampling on things. He's telling, he's taking things from people. But as I read more into this, it, it, you know, the kind of the light bulb went on for me. If you look at who he's talking to, he's specifically addressing the government at this point. The government is who sent him out on, you know, to, to defend the land. And when he left, there was plenty of support, voluntary support there. He knows that they have support coming in. If it's not getting out to the armies, he recognizes that it's probably because they're holding on to it. They're not forwarding this on. They're not doing their job. And if, and that actually is the case when, when, when Pahoran re- replies to him, um, this is in chapter 61. In verse four, it says, um, uh, his, his reply was that the, you know, the, the people in Zarahemla, the kingmen have, have risen up again. And it says, uh, they have withheld our provisions and have daunted our freemen that they have not come unto you. So again, the, this is something Moroni recognized that if they were not getting the aid from the government, it was because the government wasn't doing their job. And that's why he was telling Pahoran flat out, he will come and take what they are keeping. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, obviously as it, as it turns out, it wasn't really Pahorn's fault. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Moroni kind of feels bad for chewing him out a little bit. Um, but that's kind of what he thought at the time. Um, but, it, but it did turn out that, um, you know, Pahorn did have his own things that he was dealing with, but that support was there. There had just been another faction rise up that caused a lot of conflict and we're actually trying to prevent these goods to, you know, get, from getting to the place where they're supposed to go, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. And that's, um, I'm glad you bring that up because I have a quote for that too. Um, so in uh, in the same chapters, chapter 61, verses six and seven, when Pahoran is telling him about this, he says, you know, I've, I'm, I've been kicked out. And he says, and behold, I have sent a proclamation throughout this part of the land. And behold, they are flocking to us daily to their arms in the defense of their country and their freedom and to avenge our wrongs. Um, okay. And then it goes on to say that, you know, we've, we've risen, we've got quite a, an army and they're set at defiance. They don't dare come against us. Um, so the, again, like you said, Moroni knew that that support was there. And if it wasn't getting to the armies, he recognized that, Hey, guess what? It's because the, the government is, is holding onto that. They're impeding it and they're not doing their job. Yeah. Um, now the next thing that, uh, that I researched a little bit was uh, was this idea uh, was the idea of taking prisoners in time of war. Um, that's kind of an interesting topic to me because, um, you know, I, I think we could maybe get into uh, too lengthy of a discussion about you know the morality of taking prisoners in general and and you know maybe some of the philosophical arguments behind that. But um, obviously, a very important thing for us as as Latter Day Saints is well, what what does the Book of Mormon say about taking prisoners? You know, what, what are the circumstances in which they're taking prisoners and which, in which they're justifying that and how do they treat those prisoners when they, when they have them? Um, and, and as I looked through, uh, some of these different, uh, stories, um, uh, one thing that I noticed was that, um, there were, there are many, many instances when there's a battle going on and the Lamanites are kind of um, in disarray and they're obviously losing the battle and they're obviously frightened that they're all going to get slaughtered. And, um, the Nephites will, you know, stop the battle and, and basically 
have a little powwow with them, right? And say, hey, uh, if you guys will covenant to maybe not come try to kill us anymore, like we'll we'll let you go, right? Right here and now. Just l- lay your weapons down and we'll let you go go off in peace, basically. And um, so th- that shows a lot of, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe sometimes um, unjustified trust almost in, in the Lamanites because they have a track record of, of constantly violating um, that those peace agreements, right? But um, yet they still give always give them that chance to, uh, to make peace. And, and the Nephites say many times that, you know, they don't have a desire to shed blood, you know, and they would rather do, they would rather just let them go. Now, sometimes when that, when that has been violated so many times, the Nephites ha- decide in a few instances to actually take prisoners. Um, one um, kind of, well, I guess, you know, without going into any of the specific stories, you know, for the sake of time, but um, they're, they they obviously are reluctant to take prisoners, but once they do, they kind of take them with this idea that, you know, they want to take them uh, to stop them from coming back and constantly violating these peace agreements. And then they also want to, eventually trade them because the Lamanites take prisoners all the time. And they also tend to take wives and children, not just the combatants in the army. Right. So, um, the Nephites want to get prisoners and then they, they really just want to trade them out and get their people back. And especially those wives and their children. So, um, there's, there's a lot that could be said on this and, and a lot of stories that go into how prisoners are prisoners are treated and when they decide to take them. But it's, it's very clear to me as I read through this, that, um, you know, the reluctance to take them, but then when they do, they felt that it was necessary for their defense because of the many violations of, of those peace agreements that, that have happened. Yeah, and one of the one of the arguments I have heard, um, and this one actually kind of baffles me a little bit, but I've heard, you know, because we, when we talk about like, well, if we apply it to the modern day, right? We have prisoners um, that are, are kept indefinitely um, because they're, you know, they're, they're potential threats uh, to our security. Um, and and one of the things I, when I bring this up and I point out, you know, like for example, the story we were just talking about between Moroni and Pahoran, as they, you know, after they set things right in Zarahemla, they're marching back out to help in the in the war effort out, you know, where the the, the Lamanites are are attacking, and they come across the Lamanite army. And they 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 take them prisoners, and at that point the, they're all they all say you know hey we you know we want to join the people of Ammon. And they're like okay sure, and they let them all go. And um, I've been told that you know hey well those they were di- it was different back then because you know they actually kept their word and it was it, you know they were different than the people we have now. And I <laughs> I it kind of baffles me because when I read the Book of Mormon and it talks about the wickedness of the Lamanites. I don't get the idea that they were, you know, honorable people. I, I don't get the, you know, like I, I feel like it was, they were pretty savage at times. Like it's, it's not like, it, you know, these are, these are great. I don't know. It, to me, it feels like it's the exact same thing. And we need, we have a lot we can learn uh, from that lesson directly from the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And I think another, another good thing to point out, you know, maybe to contrast with how uh, governments today treat their prisoners and uh, all, even our own government. Um, sadly enough, uh, I, I didn't notice, uh, in my research through this topic in the book of Mormon, I didn't notice any accounts of torture or, um, you know, some, some of these, uh, things that we do to people. And, and these are even people that they know are guilty. They know that they have purposely come into their land and murdered their people. And yet they don't torture them. They don't, 
they don't kill them unless they absolutely have to because they're rising up in rebellion again. Um, and so, you know, just that, that treatment is, is so different um, than, than, what, than how we treat our prisoners today. And I think, I think we definitely need to, to learn something from that. Yeah, I would agree. And moving on from that, you know, we, we're talking about how, how we treat the enemy. Um, on the flip side of that, that gets into the next topic that I actually was looking into. And this is that was something, a nice segue, by the way. Uh, right? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> <laughs> I just broke right into that. Um, but So I actually looked into conscription so or the military draft. This, for me, is something that I've taken. Um, first off, I, I can't stand the military draft. I think it's a complete... Um, uh, infringement on on our liberties and uh, and come to find out you know the Book of Mormon actually backs me up on this and so if you're talking about the draft and conscription and forcing people to to take up arms the first thing and I'll, I'm going to take this head on because the first thing that you you always hear about is Moroni and the dissenters in Zarahemla right so just a real quick backstory the Lamanites are attacking. People in Zarahemla are happy that the Lamanites are attacking, and they won't take up arms in defense of, of their country. And um, so Moroni gets very upset about this. And in chapter 51, verse 15, we read this. So Moroni writes, he, he, it says, And it came to pass that he sent a petition with the voice of the people unto the governor of the land, desiring that he should read it and give him, Moroni, power to compel those dissenters to defend their country or to put them to death. Okay. So that, yes, I will agree that on the surface, that that does sound just like what we have today. That sounds like conscription. Um, but as I got looking more into this, um, because Moroni is one of my you know uh, Book of Mormon heroes, I, I have a very hard time when they describe other things that he's done. I I, I have a really hard time picturing him just getting in there and just forcing people that don't want to participate in the war, forcing them to do that. Um, well, it, I think that what we're talking about is, is, a, is a misunderstanding of what actually took place at that time. Because later on, whenever they, they discuss these things, that incident where the kingsmen rose up, it, um, it always talks about, uh, it actually uses words like contentions and dissensions. Um, it uses uh, the term war that broke out amongst themselves. Um, um, you know, when Moroni is writing, he writes to uh, Pahoran later on, he, he, this is how he refers to what had happened before. So he thinks that Pahoran might be one of the kingmen again. And he says, for were it not for the wickedness which first commenced at our head, we could have withstood our enemies that they could have, that they could have gained no power over us. And then in verse 16, he goes on to say, had it not been for the desire of power and authority which those kingmen had over us, had they been true to the cause of our freedom and united with us and gone forth against our enemies instead of taking up their swords against us, which was the cause of so much bloodshed among, among, among ourselves. Yea, if we had gone forth against them in the strength of the Lord, we should have dispersed our enemies for it would have been done according to the fulfilling of his word. Okay, so in my mind, and I know that I'm inferring quite a bit here, but I do feel like we have to take Moroni at his word on this. I, he is one that it mentions quite a few times in the Book of Mormon. He did not delight in shedding blood. So if he was actually willing to raise the sword against these people, it sounds like it was more than just, I don't want to fight. I don't, I don't want to participate. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, and I think another uh, important thing to point out about this story is that the the dissenters called themselves kingmen, right? Or that at least that's how the Book of Mormon refers to them. There's a very specific reason why they were called kingmen. It's because they wanted a king. They were literally trying to overthrow the liberty of the Nephites and and forcibly establish a king to rule over them. So, I mean, as libertarians, that is one thing that that we believe is it is okay to use to use violence to do is to defend yourself from bondage, right? And and that's one of the reasons that, that the Nephites often bring up for for going to war is to defend themselves from bondage. Right, exactly. Now, a couple other things that that in my mind um, back up the whole idea that that this isn't the same thing as what we think about with the military draft that we have today, uh, where people are being compelled to arms and to go, you know, to go into battle. Um, if you look at what their their punishment was in Alma um, chapter fifty one verse twenty two, so so Moroni and his force they've they've put these dissenters down, and now what they are um, what they are required to do at this point is uh, they were compelled to hoist the title of liberty upon their towers and in their cities and to take up arms in defense of their country. Um, so now, I'm just going to throw out there, again, in defense. If you read in the Book of Mormon, there is no, I don't read any place where it talks about him having other issues with them out in the field of battle. I believe he put these people down and then he left them where they were. They had to, d- to agree not to continue fighting against their liberties. They had to agree just to defend what they had, right? He left them where they were. Now, another thing that, that points out that he didn't force them to arms and he wasn't forcing people to arms is you've got the people of Ammon. And the argument I've heard against that is that, you know, well, that's religious belief and he didn't, you know, he didn't want to infringe on that. Okay, I'll, I'll hand you that one because we even have that with our, gov- with our draft now. Um, but stepping away from that, if that is the case, um, when when um, when Moroni writes to Pahoran and he finds out what has happened in Zarahemla, right? Pahoran tells him what's going on in Zarahemla. The kingmen have risen up again. Again, this points to the fact that they were all in Zarahemla. He left them where they were. They, they, they have risen up again. He starts his march toward them. And as he's going... He, he starts hoisting the, the title of liberty in all the cities that he passes through. And it says, and thousands did flock unto his standard and did take up their sword in the, in the defense of their freedom that they might not come into bondage. Okay, I'm going to throw out there, if thousands are out there in order to, that are willing now to take up arms in defense of their freedom, that means that there were thousands out there that had not up to this point taken up arms to defend their freedom. And this was not religious, um, uh, this was not due to their religious beliefs because at this point they're willing to take up arms, right? It was, they had not gotten involved in the war. Moroni was not, he was not interested in compelling people to go fight and take up arms and, and fight. He was interested in the kingmen not rising up in rebellion and, and actually impeding their defense of their own liberty. Yeah, and I think it's also uh, kind of a, a good contrast to make between um, what you're talking about with, with the Nephites and how they treat this subject versus the Lamanites. And uh, there's at least one instance uh, that I know of in the Book of Mormon that talks specifically about Lamanite conscription, and uh, I believe this was a Malachiah. And he basically gets permission from the king to go and compel a bunch of their people to arms, you know, force them into the army. Now, like you were saying, 
Moroni, it sort of sounded like he did the same thing, but even if you even if you believe that Moroni forced them to defend themselves, which is kind of a funny idea, um, they uh, the Lamanites when they did this, they were literally forcing them to join this army and pushing them out into the field of battle into an offensive conflict against a peaceful Nephite civilization. So very, very different situation there. And I will point out that if we are going to apply this to our day, (laughs) when the military drafts have been put into place, it is in order for people to go and fight. And I'm just saying, anyways, um, say what you will, you know, we are sending these people across the ocean and, and all of this stuff. So that's where... I'm just, I'm, I'll, I will leave it there. I, we can move on to the next topic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I feel like if, if, uh, if people's homes and cities and, and wives and children were literally in danger and being bombed and we're, we were being shot here in our own land, we would probably have no shortage of people signing up to defend ourselves. So Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think if we're fighting a truly defensive war, we probably don't need to use those types of tactics or those types of... Uh, you know, ideas like conscription. Um, now, this actually uh, ties in nicely with with my next topic as well, um, because when you know the Lamanites kind of fall back to conscription when they can't convince their people to go to go on these offensive campaigns against the Nephites. But often, what they do before using conscription, because I think they re- they also realize that conscription isn't terribly effective in a lot of ways because literally forcing someone to fight against their will i mean how useful are they going to be in battle you know um so often what they actually try to do is use propaganda instead um a a really fun story about this in the book of mormon is amalekiah again um he interesting he starts out as a nephite he stirs the nephites up to rebellion you know using some propaganda like uh uh methods and then um he he ends up getting his butt kicked and flees to the lamanites and then stirs lamanites up to anger against the nephites and tries to bring them over in an offensive campaign against the the nephites um he eventually you know ends up using uh some cunning and even murder to gain control of the lamanite army and then eventually to kill the king and become king of the lamanites and the the really the crux of this whole story for me, especially on this propaganda topic is as soon as he becomes king, this is what happens. This is Alma chapter 48, um, verse one. And now it came to pass that as soon as Amalekiah had obtained the kingdom, he began to inspire the hearts of the Lamanites against the people of Nephi. Yea, he did appoint men to speak unto the Lamanites from their towers against the Nephites. So literally hired people to go out there and preach about how awful the Nephites are and how we just really need to wipe them out because they're just so terrible. I mean, they, they stay in their own land and mind their own business. It's just horrible. We need to go kill them. And, (laughs) and he is somehow able to convince the Lamanites that they, that they need to do this and, and make them so angry that they feel that they need to go to fight these offensive wars. So, um, there's a, there's a definitely a few other examples that we don't have time to get into, but um, what's amazing to me is just how effective propaganda is at convincing someone that somebody else is their enemy, even when that's not the case. Yeah, and it's interesting because Moroni, it's very clear that Moroni understood this point. When he was getting, you know, when he was rallying uh, people around the cause or whatever, he was pointing out, you know, hey, 
is God going to hold us less accountable for what, you know, for our wickedness when we know, when we have the light and the truth, you know, any more accountable than the Lamanites and who are only coming against us because of the traditions of their fathers. They've been told all this, you know, all this junk about us. He points it out specifically that they are being taught this stuff. We know the truth. If we don't live up to the, you know, to the standards, we're going to be held accountable. I, I think that's a great example of Moroni himself pointing out the propaganda. Yeah, yeah. So now I think you um, kind of have the last topic here, uh, Matt, and that is kind of just, it's a nice one to wrap up with, but it it's kind of just about this, well, you know, we've talked a lot about how to conduct war and what the, what the, what the proper uh, reasons for going to war are, as explained in the Book of Mormon. But kind of on the flip side of, flip side of that, we also want to take a look at the results of war. And, you know, how effective is that really to, to uh, doing, to gaining the, the, the goals that you want to, especially your righteous goals as the Nephites? Um, you know, how effective is war versus other things? And uh, I, I think you looked into that a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And that's, so the first thing that I would point out is that, um, our, our goal with all of this, and when, when you look at, when you read about Captain Moroni and the Nephites, when they're fighting a just, you know, a just cause, their goal is not to win the war. Their goal is peace, right? They, that is what they're after. And that's literally like the, a just war is only fought in, it, we are trying to obtain peace. We have tried all other avenues. We're being attacked now. This is why the defense thing is so important, right? We have, that shows that we have tried all other avenues. We are now under attack. We will defend ourselves. But as soon as it is possible, like you pointed out with Moroni, as soon as it is possible for the enemy, if the enemy's saying, you know, hey, uncle, never mind, we stop. We don't, there's no retaliation. There's no, you know, at that point we resume the diplomacy and our goal is peace. It is not to win the battle. It is, it is to obtain peace. Yeah. And I think, um, kind of along with what you mentioned there, another thing I would point out is, is that there's no occupation of the, of the other side <laughs> when you, when you win the war. There right? wasn't a Nephite like base set up over in the Lamanite. I, I don't, that's weird. I I, I guess I, ha- I just haven't come across it yet. I'm not in that chapter yet. I don't know where it is, but we'll, I'm sure we'll find it. All right. Um, <laughs> it's a very good point. Um, now, okay. So here's, here's something though, that th- this is something that it, this is an area that actually takes quite a bit of faith, right? On our part. And this is where we as anti-war libertarians, we get, uh, I, I have heard quite often, actually, you know, that, that I, I'm told that I'm naive to believe that, you know, you're just naive to think that that, that, that kind of stuff is going to work in, in modern warfare and all, you know, these people are animals and they're, they're after us. They hate us because of our liberties and our coolness and awesomeness. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's take a look at in, in Alma chapter 31, verse five, it tells us right out, right out, you know, it tells us flat out what the best approach is anyways. And it says, and now as the preaching of the word had a great tendency to lead the people to do that, which was just, yea, it had had more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword or anything else, which had happened unto them. Therefore, Alma thought it was expedient that they should try the virtue of the word of God. All right. So right there, even if you take the the utilitarian side of you know argument on this, I'm still going to point out that sticking to our principles and 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 suing for peace is the most effective. Showing showing that forgiveness like Moroni does, right? When he captures an army and the whole arm and he holds them prisoners, 
And that whole army says, hey, we want to join you guys. And he says, okay. It makes it that much harder for the people on the Lamanite side to propagandize these people and tell them the Nephites are awful, right? This is where we really do have to, it's a leap of faith. It's, It's counterintuitive, I would say. But at the same time, it is the most effective. Now, okay, the best story that I've, and the best example I came up with this, uh, for this is actually um, in the book of Helaman. So we've been mostly discussing, you know, um, the, the wars that have happened with Captain Moroni and, and the Nephites and the Lamanites at that point. Well, after Moroni retires, his son Moroniha takes over for him. Well, in the book of Helaman, right away, the Lamanites attack again. And so, interestingly enough, their, their leaders are all ex-Nephites again. But um, that aside, um, when they attack, um, so th- they, they end up attacking so quickly that they, they, they take a lot of cities over, you know, they, they take control of a lot, a lot of the Nephite cities. And Moroniha, he te- he's trying to preach to them and tell them, you know, hey, this is, it's because of our wickedness, we need to repent. And as he sees that they are starting to repent, he starts to go against the the Lamanites and he pushes them out until they've actually um, gained half of the kingdom again, half of the the property that they had before. Those cities are back in their possession, but he recognizes that the Lamanites are too numerous and they can't take them again. Well, at this point, um, and I will... um, in chapter five of Helaman, verse four, this is what Nephi does. He's chief um, chief judge at the time. And it says, and it came to pass that Nephi had become weary because of their iniquity. And he yielded up the judgment seat and took it upon him to preach the word of God all the remainder of his days. And his brother Lehi also all the remainder of his days. Okay, so I'm gonna point out, Nephi was in a position of power, political power. He gave that up to do something more productive, which was to preach the word of God. Okay, then if you read through, they go to the Lamanites, which again, hostile territory, right? I'm just saying, going into ISIS or so, I don't know. Um, going into the Lamanites, these are hostile people. They start preaching the word of God. And they. this is what happens in chapter 52, uh, I'm sorry, chapter five, verse 52, it says, so they've, they have converted a lot of Lamanites. And in this verse, it says, and it came to pass that they did yield up unto the Nephites, the lands of their possessions. The army couldn't do it. The army couldn't retake those things. It was the preaching of the word of God that then the, it con- they converted the Lamanites and the Lamanites gave them back their property. That I thought was a fantastic example of, again, the utilitarian argument, right? That it is the most effective route to peace. Right. And um, I think this is a, a, a great place to, to leave it because, um, and we can see this with the, the policies, you know, from our church leaders and, and the things that the church is doing. The, the um, immense amount of focus that we place on missionary work, um, you know, and, and sending our missionaries through all the world, that ultimately is is the effort that is going to create the change that we want and and is going to find those people that are ready to, you know, to hear the word of God and to to, to be peaceful and to start living some of these principles of the gospel. Um, the, these wars that we're fighting are not going to do that. The wars are necessary when they're defensive, but 
um, beyond that, they cause more problems than they solve. And and the preaching of the Word of God is exactly where our focus needs to be if we want to see real change happen. Yeah, and this is where I think Hollywood gets it all wrong, right? Every time they show one of those arguments between two people and suddenly somebody brings up a topic or, or something, you know, they make a point and the other person's like, oh, and they concede, right? Oh, you won. I've never seen an argument go in that way. Like everybody, both parties stick to their ideas, you know, throughout the whole thing. And it's the same when they portray war, right? We're going to do this. And then these people are going to be, they're going to submit. And now they're going to be peaceful and they're going to love us and, and all this baloney. We've been attacking them and bombing them and killing their, you know, their family members. It does not end in peace. Usually it, it doesn't end in, in good relationships. And that's what actually what we're after. So anyways, we are going to leave it off there. Thank you again so much for, for joining us. And we will have, we have a ton of notes with a ton of references with scripture and all of that in there. We will have that all on the show notes page. So check that out. That's on ldlpodcast.com forward slash 13. And uh, join us again next week. We'll have a special guest with us next week and uh, we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.